Hi friends, join us as we dive into the themes, metaphors, and foreshadowing of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. We are your hosts, Leah, Sarah, Tabby, and whether you're a new viewer or a longtime fan, welcome to Becoming Buffy. Hey guys, welcome back to Becoming Buffy. Today we are talking about season five, episode five, No Place Like Home. Woo! What a good episode. A little celebratory mm-hmm. dance. This is when we get into the meat, bro. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Finally. And it's the first episode where freaking stupid Riley isn't taking up all the time on the screen. <laughs> so I also feel like a lot of things happened, but it, it like was really fluid. Like this is just a stellar episode. This episode is severely underrated, I find, in the Mm -hmm. fandom. This is, hands down, one of my top five episodes of this season. I adore this episode. This this episode almost, it reads like a movie almost when I watch Mm -hmm. it. It's so cinematic and it's just like, it's very dramatic. Oh, I love it. I love Mm -hmm. this episode. Yeah, this is just it's a fun episode. We get to we get introduced to Glory. We get introduced to uh who Dawn is. We kind of just get a little bit more of our world building for this season, but also it just becomes so much more compelling. I don't know. I and I cry every time I watch this episode. This episode makes me tear up. The I got last, a little teary eyed at the end too. I was like, oh yeah. The last like seven mm-hmm. minutes of the episode, it's just it it makes me cry. It's just so emotional. Well, this episode speaks to Sarah's soul as an older child, an it older does. sister. It does. It <laughs> really does. This whole is going to be triggering for Sarah. <laughs> She's like, this yeah. season just speaks to me, guys. We're like, we know. <laughs> yeah, every every episode, Sarah's like, I don't know why. It's just I really resonate with the, with the themes of this episode. <laughs> We're like, we wonder. Yes. Yep. Well, oldest oldest child, oldest girl issues here. I'm not going to make a secret of it. Uh, yeah. No, I remember being, you know, however old I was when I watched this uh, season for the first time, sitting on my floor with Netflix open, watching it and absolutely sobbing my heart out at this <laughs> in this episode because I was like, oh my gosh, it's her little sister and she has to protect her. And I was like, oh. it's, yeah, it's emotional. It's good. But this is objectively, I think, a really great episode. Um, there are a lot of moving parts and things that are happening. And I think with the exception of maybe the misdirect of Dawn, which I find to be a little bit like, okay, they're just trying to make us think that Dawn's the reason that Joyce has these headaches. I think that's a little bit iffy um, and doesn't quite fall the way I think they wanted it to. That doesn't really bother me very much because I'm like, it's a misdirect, whatever. Everything else in this episode just hits right for me. There's humor. We get a little bit of everybody. I feel like everybody's kind of their best, with the exception of Riley, but we just, at this point, I think there's no redeeming him. Um, But everybody's their best in this episode, and it's just, it's so good. So, all right, let's talk about it. Written by Douglas Petrie, of course, guys. I've, I've come to appreciate his writing as we've like, increasingly gone through the series. Apart from Joss Whedon, I think he's my second favorite writer. He writes all the Faith arcs. And so, of course, this episode would be great. Um, Directed by David Solomon and aired October 24th, 2000. So the original run of this episode attracted 6.4 million viewers, and it was the highest rated episode of the series. People wanted to know who Dawn was. (laughs) Yeah, people were like, what the heck is happening? Yeah. 
The title is a reference to a verse from the song Home Sweet Home, which is also referenced in The Wizard of Oz with Dorothy having to chant There's No Place Like Home while clicking her heels together. Tabby's favorite childhood movie aside from Dumbo. Not anymore. That movie creeps me out. <laughs> no, you know, I actually introduced the kids to it this past week. And, you know, I it, it's definitely dated for sure. I mean, it's mm-hmm. Judy Garland, but there's something I mean, really Judy charming. Garland just does I mean, yeah. she's great. Like I watched the movie for her. It's just knowing all the stuff that happens behind the scenes. Yeah. It's like it's called the curse movie for a reason. I mean, there's a lot to it, but it just like it, it gives me bad vibes now. But I love Judy is just so endearing, and I love her in that movie. Anyway, all right. Um, And obviously, it's a reference to Glory. We're going to say her name. I know we're like, (laughs) look how far we've come, guys. All of season one, part of season two, we didn't even say Joyce's name, and here we are. Or Jenny's. (laughs) We would refer to her as Miss Calendar. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) I know. We were really sticklers Like, who the frick cares, okay? Who cares? (laughs) A name does not reveal anything. The only name that I feel like reveals a bit (laughs) is Dawn, because it specifically dawn is referenced but like it doesn't matter besides that yeah i think glories is a little bit perfect once you find out fully who she is but we're gonna say it it's in the script they just don't say it in the episode because no one actually knows her personally so why would you um and how else would we refer to her blonde scary chick no i literally just wrote the beast in all my notes because i didn't know if we were gonna say it or not but that's just a mouthful so glory it is um but yes glory as we find is trying to get home and that's where we get no place like home um, also, too, I think it's also a reference to the fact that Dawn doesn't really have a home. Mm-hmm. She was just created. So in a lot of ways, Buffy is her home. Um, and then also Buffy trying to defend and protect her home and her household from this what she thought was an unseen force and then comes to find out it's actually the monks sending Dawn. Um, I just think it's just a really – great title it's so funny because i feel like this episode in this moment is so surreal because like anyone who didn't listen to the spoiler section has no idea how long we have been referencing and talking (laughs) about dawn like when dawn comes in how much the show's dynamic changes when dawn comes in like it's already so different Yeah, it's already so, so different. I mean, like, Mm -hmm. Buffy's character is so different now. And not not in a way that, like, changes her, like, drastically. But it's just, like, her, you know, she's an older sister. Like, there's a responsibility that goes along Mm -hmm. with that. Like, it's just, like, it's crazy that we're finally at a point where we're talking about Dawn. Like, it's been so long. Yeah. Yeah. And that brings up a really good point, Leanne. I will address that later too in just talking about how that changes Buffy's character um, and the introduction of Dawn and everything that happens this season. Um, but I wanted to talk about how we've we talked a lot about the seventh episode as being hugely important in detailing the themes of the season. And obviously we're going to get to the seventh episode of this season, which I'm really excited about. It's one of my favorite seventh episodes. Um, and, but we haven't really talked about the fifth episode, and I know everyone's going to be like, oh my gosh, Sarah, are you going to say every single episode is important? But there is a pattern to the way Joss writes and the writers, and um, it's usually the first episode of the season that stops dealing with the aftermath of the previous season. So usually the formula of the first four seasons is dealing directly with everything that's happened before. This season feels like the first, or this episode feels like the first one where we are fully jumping into what's happening in season five. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Um, like the episode before was Riley and Buffy. The episode before that was Xander dealing with all his stuff. The episode before that was introducing Dawn, but also kind of like showing where everybody is at now in like a day in the life and stuff. And so I think each episode has been bringing us to this moment. And it's always so fun when we get here because I don't want to talk about season four. I want to talk about season five, you Mm -hmm. know? No one wants to talk about season four anymore. (laughs) Some people do. Not us, though. Not me. (laughs) We already talked about season four. If you guys want to hear us talk about season four, go back and listen to our old episodes, okay? We're talking about season five, okay? All right. Um, So we have the introduction of a villain, or should I say a villainess in this episode, the fantastic Glory, played by the delicious Claire Kramer, who I don't think anybody else could have played this character better than than she did. Um, So I have a quote from Evan Katz's book um, where he talks about her and he interviews her. Um, He says, Claire Kramer, meanwhile, a television newbie, had just finished filming Bring It On, co-starring Buffy alum Eliza Dushku, which is really fun if you guys – I think we referenced it when we were talking about – I love that movie. Faith, yeah. It's been a while. I need to rewatch it. It also uh, features – what's her face? Who plays – she plays in the Spider-Man movies. Kirsten uh, Dunst. Kirsten Dunst. Oh, Kirsten Dunst. Yep, yep. Um, so Claire knew of the series but had only seen some Faith-centered episodes over at Dushku's house during Bring It On, which I really love that they were like showing each other stuff. She went into audition for the part of Cherry, which at the time had little description. Wanting to impress with her ability to make bold choices, she decided to base the character off of Jack Nicholson in The Shining. She got a call to come back in the next day and read once again and was offered the part on the spot. Cherry would become Glory, one of the most havoc-wreaking on the show. Claire Kramer says, I was really excited when I got the call, obviously. I had done two TV pilots before this and I had just finished filming Bring It On, but it had not come out yet. And I remember Eliza telling me, you got to check out the message boards. And then my episode aired, so this episode, and I went on and I had never been so heartbroken in my life. Everyone was like, she's terrible. It's the worst overacting I've ever seen. What are they doing to this show? People didn't get it back then. Like they don't get her. Like they don't get – like they – Ugh, that but also, me off. like, I feel like Glory's character, it kind of she's camp. It's a lot, she's pure. It's, camp. A lot, it's a lot up front. It, but once the show goes on, you kind of you see the masterpiece that Glory is. Honestly, she's right. also honestly, refreshing. She almost reminds me of like a Spike in a way, where she's very polarizing. Like mm-hmm. people either really love her character or they really don't because they they take up so much space on the screen like they are the center of attention in every frame that they're in and i love it i love glory i think that she is such a dynamic to the show i think anyone who says that she's overacting or things like that are just they're not used to seeing a woman be kind of yeah have they not seen spike have they not seen spike (laughs) i was about to say i was like i didn't want to say it aloud but like this seems a little misogynistic (laughs) and also granted we are talking not in a vacuum we've seen the entirety of the season so it's really hard for us to speak objectively but i and people don't like change glory is a change glory is very different she has a tonal shift in the yeah villains 
So Claire goes on and says, and here I am, this NYU trained actor thinking I was going to have my big break and the first wave of news I received was not accolades but horrible reviews from the fans. From there and in that moment, Kramer made a decision to trust her gut, knowing that she was playing the character the right way and trust in the connection she had to the character. She says, the directors and the writers seem to think it's going well. They hadn't killed me off yet, which I also was warned about. So I decided to stop reading the message boards, although I wanted to. Um, And then Douglas Petrie recalls, he says, each season we would begin with an initial meeting of Joss saying, here's the big bad this year and here's why this is the big bad. And for me, seasons three and five were the ones where we were going, oh man, we're going to town. It began in episode five, No Place Like Home, where you have the ritual, the monks, and they, they say it's like two months before. And then you see this powerful unknown entity makes herself known by knocking through a metal door. She's in skin tight, red Prada dress and heels, you know, kicking down a metal door in heels. She dusts herself off, looks around, sees a monk and says, there you are. I've been looking all over for you. And um, Kramer, I've heard her interviews in other places, but she says, I think more time was spent on my hair that season than actually talking to me about the character. Uh, Apparently they loved how curly her hair was because they felt like it gave her kind of an unhinged look. And so I remember her talking about as the season went on, they actually kept trying to curl her hair to achieve the look that she has in this scene. Whereas this scene or I should say this episode is her own natural hair and like letting it do its Mm. own thing. And for some reason they kept trying to replicate that synthetically. And she said it was really frustrating. She's like, just let my hair like be its own thing. But I find that interesting. Um, Claire says, uh, talking about her audition, she says, what happened was when I went into audition for the role, they just had two pages of dialogue and no character description. They didn't indicate that she was going to be bad even, or if it was just for one episode. I decided to play her a certain way, the beast way, the glory way. And as they went with my storyline, they would decide things two or three weeks ahead. So I didn't even know she was going to be the big bad until a couple of episodes in. I certainly didn't know she was going to be who she becomes. I don't think she was evil at all. She just wanted to go home and she was just trying to achieve what would get her there. It's not her fault that the monks hid the key in Dawn, but I also think as an actress, when you approach the character, you can't approach it like, oh, she's evil. I'm going to play an evil character. You have to approach it like any role where you don't pinpoint the good or the bad. You just look at the dynamics of that person. So I never saw her as evil, which is really interesting to me. Because the guy who played Adam, I don't remember his name now, he mentioned that the writers weren't really sure what they were going to do with him either when they first like wrote him and when he first started playing him, which is similar to Claire's experience with Glory. Both are overly powered beings that Buffy doesn't seem to be able to beat. And although we've just met Glory, not only is she immediately more dynamic and interesting than Adam ever was, even though they both kind of have a similar like lack of depthness to what the writers like are planning on doing with them. Like the writers don't really have a plan at this point. Um, They have set her up so well because you immediately see the connection between her and Buffy. Not only is she really interesting to watch, but she's a woman. So then automatically you have like the physical characteristics between them both being blonde and super powered, which can't be coincidental, but there's also a huge emotional connection because of Dawn, her connection to Dawn. And because they've set up Dawn's individual persona and Dawn's connection to Buffy and to another person that Buffy loves, which is Joyce, the stakes are immediately raised. And I think about how they did this with Riley because they were supposed to have a connection from Buffy to Adam through Riley. 
but they didn't do a good enough job of connecting us to Riley emotionally and connecting Riley to Buffy emotionally. And so because of it, and I mean, for many other reasons, Adam fell flat. And so it's interesting to see how like as time goes on, we'll see if they do a, a good job with Glory and maintaining that connection. But by causing Glory to go after someone that Buffy cares so deeply for and feels a protectiveness over as a helpless individual, it creates a very different dynamic. And I really like that. Dude, it's honestly just so hard to to like be impartial when yeah. reviewing Glory <laughs> in this episode. Because even if I look at the lens of just this episode, she is already more captivating, more interesting than yeah. Adam or any of the big bads were in season four. Even Doc- Professor Walsh, everyone. Like, she is so much more interesting to watch. She's so much more of a threat. Mm-hmm. Glory was the first big bad. Actually, no, because Faith actually really scared me, and so did Angelus. But, like, Glory, starting off in this episode, was the first big bad of, like, I don't know how Buffy will beat her. Like, I always knew that Buffy was more powerful than Angelus, so it was always more of an emotional pull. Like, is she going to be able to kill him? Faith was like, I felt like Buffy was more powerful because she had more of a lock on her emotions and her mind than Faith did. But like with Glory, it's like, she's crazy, but she's so powerful. I mean, like, she's She's just like- Yes. And it's so interesting and like, and it's just episode one. Like, yeah. oh my gosh, guys. Like there's a reason why people rave about season five. Like there Mm -hmm. is just so much in it. And I mean, it's only episode five. Yeah. So Marty Noxon says, I felt like the season was revitalized. There was a lot of energy and we were back where we had Buffy in a really interesting place emotionally. That's always easier to write. The stuff with her mother and Dawn gave really clear emotional stuff for her to play. That gave us a really good, rich season. We started to feel a real updraft that the show was moving in a positive direction. Not that we felt like we'd had a crappy season, but season four was transitional in a lot of ways. Season five felt like we were into a groove and a lot of the episodes turned out great. It was wonderful to be on a show heading for a hundred episodes and not feeling done, feeling like there was still a whole lot of life in the show and the stories we wanted to tell. Um, Yeah. And I agree. This is highly unusual to have a season that not only is compelling emotionally, but also with, you know, all of the stuff that's going on, like the big bad and everything like that, but also is challenging your main character. We're finding, I think it was you, Tabby, that mentioned this a couple episodes, like we're finding a new side of Buffy we've never seen before. That's so interesting. And it's season five. I was about to say, and especially five seasons in, how do we still have parts of Buffy we've never seen before? Well, and Bucky, Bucky, (laughs) we're switching over to Marvel. (laughs) Buffy is one of the the few shows that I've seen that starts off in high school and transitions into college and doesn't lose its spark mm-hmm. in college. Season four made me so scared when I first watched the show. I was like, it's going to be like every other show where it only hit its niche in high school and then it's going to get out of high school and it just doesn't fit as well. I mean, you see that with like Vampire Diaries, with Gossip Girl, with Gilmore Gilmore Girls, Girls. with like so many shows where it's not that it necessarily gets bad. It's just the tone of the show changes so much that you're always- You don't recognize the characters. Yes, you're always finding yourself longing the early seasons. While there is a magic of the first three seasons, like season five proves that Buffy Mm -hmm. is more than a high school story. It is a full- It's a coming coming of of age. It's a coming of age story, but she- 
it doesn't stop in high school or at the end right. of high school. Like it goes fully into adulthood and we're really seeing Buffy wrestle with that adulthood and in a way that is so interesting. Like the season just, it broke the mold, honestly. Yeah. I cannot think of many TV shows where I am just as invested in season five, if not more so, than I was in seasons one, two, and so on. Um, usually by season five, the show is very like – very clearly coming to an end. You can tell the writers don't really know where to go. Um, and this is just, it's amazing that the fifth season is my favorite season. Like, I just think that's so crazy. Um, and I also think too, kind of going to your point, Leah, and talking about how a lot of shows fizzle out after the high school years and don't really know what to do. That's why so often you see time jumps because they don't know how to keep their characters in one place in a natural way. Like, is everyone really going to stay in the same town? Is everyone really, everyone really just going to like, how do you get all the characters to like be able to be together in an organic way? And like in season four, we saw, you know, Giles kind of floundering in that way. And you saw Xander even floundering, even though he didn't choose to go to college. And so that's why, like, I think of Pretty Little Liars, they do the time jump. Because then you can have everybody they having their own life. two time jumps. Oh, that's right. Yeah, they do. They do <laughs> one that's five years and one that was two years. That's right. Yeah, I haven't seen that in forever. But, like, yeah. you have them so that you can say, oh, they have their own lives, and then they're coming back because of an event. Um, and I, I just really like that – we have this organically happening and everyone is moving on with their lives in a, and there's a reason for them to stay in Sunnydale, like instead of going out, you know? So. Well, they have an excuse with the home elf. So it's right. kind of like they, it's realistic that they're all staying in Sunnydale because there's a yeah. genuine need in Sunnydale. So Critically Touched talks about one of the themes of the season that we see brought to the forefront in this episode, saying Buffy goes through an emotional roller coaster ride here. The change over Buffy's attitude of Dawn from the beginning of the episode to the end is sensical and very intelligently done. Early on, Buffy's expressing how she's envious that Dawn gets to be the baby who's coddled by mom. I love her comment, you don't know how much I wish I was an only child these days. Buffy wants that kind of motherly love from Joyce, too, instead of being forced to take on more adult responsibilities which unfortunately will be piled on more and more heavily throughout the season. That's one of the major themes of the season, Buffy's final fall from innocence and her leap into the adult world. Man. And if you've listened to our spoilers, you know where we're going with this. Um, and I can't fully say anything, but for now, I can only talk about what's happening in this episode. And Markfield writes, he says, the villains almost always serve a metaphorical role. So we now should be asking whether Glory does, and if so, what that role is. For now, just as I did with Dawn, let's keep track of what we do know about Glory. She's almost impossibly self-centered. She's super strong, even though she appears to be human and no bigger than Buffy. She certainly kicked Buffy's ass. She's more than a little deranged, and whatever she did to the poor security guard involved his brain. I think all these characteristics are very meaningful. The craziness fits in perfectly with what we've seen so far. A crazy man confronting Dawn and real me. The replacement showed us split personalities. Riley and Spike both went a bit crazy and out of my mind. Now Glory shows up and she's acting crazy. And she says to Buffy, are you crazy? There has to be a connection here. And there is. So this is going to be interesting. And normally, like, I kind of give a little bit more of a hint and what I think the big bad represents. But we've never had a big bad introduced so early on in the season. So I kind of want to, like, wait to see that involve or evolve a little bit more organically before I kind of talk about what Glory is going to represent. So anyways. That is everything.
this episode just comes straight in. We have like these random monks from apparently two months ago, Mm -hmm. just like sprinting, falling over, barricading themselves in a room. And to what we find out later, it's Glory trying to break in. But at first, like it's really like eerie. I was like, oh, this is so fun. I was like the tonal shift immediately in episode five. I was like, oh, I was getting so excited. Anytime you have a flashback in Buffy, pay attention. It's an important episode. And we haven't had one in so long. Ever since Angel left, we haven't really had any. Yep. We'll have some soon after this episode. I know. I'm so excited. Um, We see them, as we know later on the episode, we see them sending out the key to Buffy. But it looks like they're just doing some magical ritual or something. Um, And then we jump to outside the warehouse. Buffy is fighting a vampire. She ends up dusting him. And then a security guard comes up telling her that the party from the night beforehand, they were all kicked out. And she's like, oh, yes. darn, right. Buffy's definitely going to attend a party. She's de- That's why she's there, for sure. <laughs> and you know what? For security cards, like for like a secluded warehouse or whatever, he was like super nice and chill. He was yeah. like, yeah, he's like, if you're up to me, I don't really care what you guys do. Right. I think all of Buffy's um, dialogue in this episode is really important. And there's an extra emphasis on Buffy wishing she had a normal childhood. Um, he ends up handing her an orb to which you find out later, later is the dragon sphere. Dagon sphere. Oh, my sub- my subtitles and the Hulu said dragon. It's funny. Yeah, it's it's dragon sphere. It does sound like dragon sphere though, huh? Yeah, it's funny. Um, so she takes it and then we jump to the kitchen where Buffy's making breakfast breakfast for Joyce to which Dawn immediately takes credit for when Joyce oh comes downstairs. <laughs> I I know Dawn is supposed to be a little bit annoying and it's it, it's funny to watch like her and Buffy go back and forth and stuff but I just think the relationship between her and Joyce and her and Buffy is just really charming and endearing and fun mm-hmm. to watch that I, I just don't mind it at all. Yep. Um, Joyce says that since going to the hospital, there have been plenty more headaches that come along with the normal headaches that she usually gets um, to which you can kind of tell that Buffy's like immediately concerned um, asks her when her next appointment is, to which Joyce kind of brushes her off um, and then like cuddles Dawn, calls her pumpkin belly. And poor Buffy, you could tell, is just like so burdened by like how, I guess, like heavy her slayer life is that she's just like, you could tell that she's wanting so bad to be able to have those moments with Joyce because she finds out they also have like a book club. Like, I really feel for Buffy here. I also get the sense that Buffy is feeling the burden of responsibility to help out Joyce because she's she True. has this little sister, but also she's recognizing if mom is not 100%, the burden falls on Buffy. Um, and I also want to talk about how mature Buffy is being. Like her saying, okay, we need a second opinion. And Joyce is like, we need a first opinion. Buffy's like, okay, let's go now. Let's go now. The, it, I, I just – want to highlight Buffy's character growth. She's so different from the Buffy we met in season one, but in a way that is completely organic. It's rare that you have a character that changes so much in a show in a way that feels natural and true to who they are as a character. And I rarely see people talk about Buffy's arc in the series. Um, They tend to focus on other characters who have more extreme evolutions, but hers is absolutely wonderful. And I want to highlight that because Buffy does grow. Buffy does change. She has her ups and downs, but I think people don't 
talk about it very much because it's subtle. And so, and she, because it's always Buffy, regardless Mm -hmm. of whatever decision she's making, it feels like Buffy with maybe the exception of one or two episodes, but it generally, it feels like her. And so I think people don't ever, I think some people don't think that Buffy changes at all, which is not true. I think it's because a lot of times we see Buffy making the good decision. And so it's like, you just kind of always take it as like, oh, Buffy's going to make the good decision. But it's like, if you look at her in season one, yes, Buffy is still good. And yes, she's still, she's not selfish, but she's not as much aware. Um, She doesn't, it's not her first nature to think of other people. Um, And that doesn't make her selfish. It just means she's a little young, you know? I don't think it'd be like wrong to say that she was a little self-absorbed too. And she herself says that like that's who she was before she was a slayer. And I think like we see her become increasingly. I'm saying in season one, like I wouldn't call her self-absorbed. I would just say that she was young and therefore didn't feel the burden of needing to consider others before herself in a non-slayer way. Sure. She's just Um, a teenager. Like they don't think about that. And I think that we've seen her each season season have to put other people before her and i think it's it's becoming more of a learned habit of like mm. she just naturally is like in that role now and i think she has just such a good arc i think it's because a lot of people view arcs as like you go from something drastic into something drastic right. on, on the other end like you look right. at um spike like spike's arc is very obvious because he went from the villain to now being kind of like an anti-hero um yeah. forcibly but still like or you look at like um willow and how she was like the shy girl and now she's like the powerful witch like but it's like buffy is is so it's so subtle and it's so human the way that she yeah. grows and evolves and i think that's why she's the protagonist is because they wanted to show a natural evolution of someone. I mean, obviously, they're supernatural elements. She got a supernatural sister. But, like, <laughs> the growth of her is so yeah. seamless. It's it's growing up. You learn things yeah. slowly over time. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. And it's just – it's such a joy to watch her mature but still retain her buffiness. So Buffy takes Dawn to the magic shop um, by saying that it's Giles' big opening day – and she walks straight in and the silence is so loud. <laughs> He's wearing like a wizarding costume and just smiles at her. And in the moment I was like, Buffy, like make it like excited. Like, like say like, oh, that's so funny. Like, and like, he looks like so sad taking it off. I was like, oh, <laughs> I, I took it more. as like her just staring at him like, Giles, you know how idiotic you look. Take it off. And him, like he doesn't, he still has the stupid smile on his face and he just kind of turns and is like, he, I could see in his mind, yes, yes, you're right. This is quite foolish I as he know, takes it off. Of, um, what episode was it in season three or season four? four. Where it's season they come four. Over and he's wearing the sombrero and it was yes, like, hey, fear Giles. itself. <laughs> he's like, it's but just the silence. <laughs> I'm dead. <laughs> Oh my gosh. And then Willow walking and be like, Giles, where's your cloak and hat? You uh-huh. know, she bought it for him and oh, was like, sure. you should wear this. <laughs> Dawn comes in. She's like, Dawn, do not touch anything. I'm like, oh, I've been this older sibling <laughs> and I'm only the, <laughs> the middle. <laughs> but then we hear Dawn breaking something. Like, I know. Before she the was scene definitely is right. Out. Yep. And again, like you can see how much Buffy doesn't want to be around Dawn in this moment, but which makes it all the more touching that she brought her with her to give Joyce a break. Like, I just, I find that it's really, very real. Like, yeah. Yeah. Buffy shows them the orb. Um, and then 
Dawn snitches on Buffy saying that <laughs> Buffy didn't want to patrol with her. And then also like Riley saying that like he looks cute when he's weak and kitteny. And it just, again, the silence is so loud. <sighs> if Riley was secure in himself and his masculinity, this wouldn't be an issue. Also, if he had a proper, I feel like a broken record, but if he had a proper He's a hobby view of Buffy's <laughs> a role of Buffy as a slayer, then yeah. he would be understanding of why he can't come. I don't know. Yep. The show and the writers are making Buffy out to be in the wrong. This is her literal job. Know your place, Riley. Yeah. Um, and then Dawn's like, what? I don't understand because everyone keeps like staring at her. I do feel bad for her in this moment. I don't think she meant it like to kind of, you know, incriminate Buffy. She was trying Buffy. to relay with him. She yeah. was like, yeah, I can't go either, Riley. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. We're in this together, Riley. Also, okay, and Buffy, you need to be careful what you say around Dawn because yeah. clearly she heard it from somewhere. It's partially Buffy's fault is what we're saying. Yeah. Will is saying that she relates to Dawn during that time, just being awkward and not really knowing their place in situations, kind of being an outsider. Um, says she has empathy for her, to which in this moment I realized I was like, where's Tara? We didn't see her this whole episode because she's like also an outsider. We have seen shockingly little of Willow this season. I was like, thinking that too, yeah. We don't really know what all is going on with her in a way that we we know pretty much about what's going on with all the other Scoobies, but we have seen very little of Willow and equally as little of Tara, which I'm like, come on, when what are we going to get at Willow's episode? I know. it's it's. I also miss the dynamic between Buffy and Willow. I feel like every time we see her, it's always because Willow is talking to her about Dawn. And again, we get a little bit of a clue into what Buffy's thinking, talking about how she wishes she was an only child these mm. days. Um, again, and I think I've talked about this before, and I think it's pretty clear now. Like Dawn represents Buffy's childhood. And if we're looking at this metaphorically, this is Buffy watching her childhood kind of like float away. And this is her wishing to hold on to that innocence. Um, well, because like the world that she has to constantly go out into is just like – Physically, spiritually, mentally, and like actually dark <laughs> for her, yeah. especially being the Slayer. So she's like holding on to her girlhood so hard and then yeah. seeing how Joyce is like – I think it's also like this this underlying part of her that's actually um, the real Buffy that is an only child. So I think it's, it's, it's like this weird emotion where she's feeling like this feels really jarring in the moment – um, yeah. Because she actually isn't a sister, technically. Right. This isn't you know? right. And yeah. a part of me knows it isn't right. Yeah. Yes, but she can't totally. pinpoint that. So I think this is why yep. it's hitting her extra hard. Um, because if she did have Dawn her entire life, yes, this would still hurt. But it's like seeing moments where Joyce is like, have we ever seen Joyce be this affectionate with Buffy ever? Like she was in right. the kitchen. Never. Like calling her pumpkin belly and doing all these things. And I get that's like like she's the baby. She's the younger sibling. She's still like in school, you know? And so I understand that. I don't blame Joyce for that. But I think it's like for Buffy, it's hitting harder because of yeah. that. And 
season one Joyce, with the exception of maybe Prophecy Girl, season one Joyce was pretty absent. Like I think about the witch when Buffy comes in and tries to tell her mom about like trying out for cheerleading, all this stuff. Joyce is busy unpacking and not really paying attention. And I know that they kind of use Joyce as a plot device, so she tends to be inconsistent in her writing. But for the first season and even a season and a half, like Joyce is kind of absent and Mm -hmm. not really – like the divorce is still kind of fresh. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and they so just moved. Like, yeah, yeah. So it's like Buffy got like her childhood you know, cut short in a lot of yeah, ways. Yeah. But it's like Buffy got, you know, working through a divorce, Joyce. Whereas like uh, Dawn gets like freshly, like confident, like, you know, very secure in her like kind of singleness. Like they're, they just, they honestly both got different moms. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Joyce is talking about wanting to possibly date again at the beginning of this season when she was talking about having Dracula come in. So like this is a very different Joyce. So they leave the magic shop and then head back home um, and they both see Joyce on the couch with another severe headache. Um, and Buffy takes upon herself to go get Joyce her prescription at the hospital. <laughs> She's like 10 minutes. And I was like, says no one ever. Pharmacies also, take forever. Yes. Even, even if you pre-ordered it, like you yep. still yeah. are looking at like a 30-minute line wait at, at least. least. Well, and then yes. you wait a while for them to get your prescription. I've been in there for like an hour and a half, for real. Yeah. Yep. She bumps into Ben. We find out his name, so I'm not that's not a spoiler. <laughs> I know. I was about to say, I was like, did they say his name? But I forgot he introduced Last himself. episode. Last yeah. episode they did. So this is the second episode we've seen this guy, which immediately I'm like, okay, this and is he remembers he's her be immediately. Yeah. Okay, but then he was all like, You can just call me man nurse like everyone else, like talking about how like, you know. There's this idea like men can't be nurses, but then he says like the most sexist thing ever when he talks about how for she has girl, muscles you have for a muscles. girl. Yeah. I was going to say like this is how you know that he's probably going to be more of a reoccurring character because it's like what are the chances that the doctor that checked on her mom is there again for the prescription? Yeah. Like, bro, yeah. there's no – I've never seen a repeat and doctor. And remembers unless they her. Were, yeah, unless they were my repeat doctor, I've never seen them. Uh, and then she notices the guy that's on um, what what would that be the called? Gurney. Like the gurney, gurney, yeah. Um, it's the security guard from the other night, and he is clearly out of his mind. And we definitely did not see that part of him um outside the warehouse. And Buffy's like, "Hey, I know this dude. He's not crazy." Um, the security guard grabs her hand where the pills are and says, "They'll get to your family." He says they'll come – they come through the family. They get to your family. And then he was like kind of dropping the pill bottle or he was like grabbing the wrist that had the pill bottle at the same time. And so this is meant to be a red herring because like we're thinking, oh my gosh, this is something supernatural that's happening to Joyce. Right. Um, which is important because like the title, There's No Place Like Home, this – at anytime something has happened bad, it's been a, of supernatural ins- – like a, a supernatural occurrence. And this is important because Buffy can fight something that's supernatural. And Buffy's trying to control the situation because that's what you do when there's something that's scary – something scary that happens. Like you want to be able to fix it. And so Buffy's going, this is something I can do because it's it's probably supernatural. Um, and the scary thing at the end of the episode is realizing it's not supernatural. So we, we go back into the view of inside the warehouse and the same monk that we saw from the first scene or one of the monks 
is um, I, what is he sketching on his like? What is he drawing there? So they don't exactly say what, but the I believe what he has here is it's a map and it's mm-hmm. um, a map of Sunnydale and he's looking at it. I think what he's trying to do is he's trying to find Buffy. He wants oh. to find Buffy to tell her what is happening. Dang, he got and- lucky then for her to come straight to him later. <laughs> Yeah, no kidding. Because um, the first, and they don't say this, you're supposed to kind of infer it based upon the language they're using. But the first sequence that was supposed to happen two months when there was three monks, um, it was happening in the Czech Republic and they were speaking Mm. Czech. And so they sent Dawn to Buffy at the beginning of the season uh, from Czech the Czech Republic. And then, then he traveled to Sunnydale. He's trying to get away from the the beast from glory and she's killed the other two monks. And now he's looking for Buffy to say, Hey, you have the key. Gotcha. Well, I mean, it has like a same like ominous tone, like he's sitting in there and then we hear banging again, just like the first scene and who comes through, but glory, what a epic first introduction into our like big bad. And then it being like, not only like a female, like lead main character bad mm-hmm. girl but she's blonde and in like yeah. red i was oh, yeah eat. well it's such a contrast too because it's like when you meet faith it's like okay we get she's it edgy she's edgy and has sex she's the edgy one <laughs> or it's like when you meet um drusilla it's like okay obviously she's kind of you know creepy she's the like, goth girl yeah and i mean darla was in the show for so long but even darla was supposed to kind of be like a uh, kind of throw you off the scent like she was supposed mm-hmm. to be a breaking of the mold and stuff and so it's like glory's supposed to be polarizing because she's supposed to kind of almost resemble buffy in a way um and just be like it's it's supposed to kind of jar you in the way that buffy does where it's like this dainty i mean she's teeny like this dainty little woman who's just terrifying mm-hmm. yeah the script has a really cool description of her they say the door comes blasting off its hinges and lands intact 10 feet from the doorway revealing not some hulking monstrous demon but a girl real hottie too about buffy's age whoever she is she's a star and she knows it curly blonde tendrils fall all around her shoulders highlighting her sharp red business dress and killer pumps Ugh, slay so I want to talk a little bit about what Gloria is wearing, and I I know I say this every episode, but the second half of this analysis will be on our spoilers, and it's good, but yeah, anyway. So talking about what I can talk about here, in film, red, using color theory, red is the color of passion, love, excitement, desire, violence, blood, danger, anger, fire, war, heat, and rage. But above all, it demands more attention than any other other color. It's a very look at me, I'm here color. Um, and so, you know, Glory in this episode in this scene or like the, it's not the scene. It's like the next scene when she's torturing the monk, um, in her ranting, she talks about birthing, like birthing pains. And this is most likely a reference to revelation. One of the books of the Bible, kind of a foreshadowing of the apocalypse. So birthing pains are often a metaphor for the pain before God comes back a time of suffering. And so in revelation 12, the book talks about how there was a giant red dragon that tried to eat the woman giving birth, which is the metaphor for God's people and how he tries to protect them from the dragon. And the child is Jesus, who is born to Mary. And then the dragon was cast out of heaven with its angels and thrown to earth. And then at the end of the chapter, it's revealed that the dragon is actually the serpent from the garden, who is the devil, 
who's the serpent. And so they, with the language that they're using, it kind of seems as though they are equating glory to some sort of apocalypse and also to kind of like the devil and being cast out. So if you know, you know, um, and if you don't, uh, this will all make sense in the future. So stay tuned for that. But I just thought that was really cool. This season, more so than any other season, has a lot of like biblical imagery and mythology that you'll kind of see throughout the series. And so I think they kind of took a lot of this like in their use of glory. So I thought that was really interesting. And there's lots of other like color theory that pops up that we're going to talk about in the spoilers. So if you guys have not been listening to our Buy Me a Coffee, again, I cannot stress this enough. And I'm not just saying this because I want you to buy us a coffee, but I'm saying this genuinely because story-wise, this is the season to kind of like This is the season to know the spoilers, dude. Because it enhances the whole entire, like each watch that you just, it's so rich. You get so much out of it. And each of our spoilers so far have just been so fun. So Not anyway, to mention, that's my we've plug. been going through Twilight. Mm-hmm. And Leah, Leah breaks it down too, which is very <laughs> yeah, fun. The only time you will ever see me leading episodes is in the spoiler or the buy me a coffee section. So we end the scene in the warehouse with Glory saying she's been looking for him all over. So like creepily cheerful. She's mm-hmm. like, I've been looking all over for you. And you're like, <laughs> she gives what? like Karen vibes, like like the PTA <laughs> mom vibes where or the Southern mom. Or yeah. like their tone she's really nice like, but mean. Their words yeah. don't change, but their tone is the thing where you're like, oh my gosh, like you mean business. It's especially creepy because there's only one monk left. We're like, what did you do with the other two? <laughs> I know, poor man. He looks so nice. <laughs> <laughs> Back at the magic shop, Giles has customers. Yay. He's so excited. Um, Anya comes in and is like frustrated and bitter because she's running out of money. This is so relatable. (laughs) Honestly. (laughs) She's like, and it's making me bitter. And Giles is like, yes, the change is palpable. Yep. (laughs) Buffy comes in and says she knows what's wrong with Joyce because she saw the guy, the security guard, I mean, at the hospital and says that Somebody is making these people crazy. It's some sort of magic um, to which Anya, as she's fixing Willow's horrible wrapping job, tells her about this thing. It's like a you do this ritual or this like – in essence, she'll be able to tell if somebody put some sort of spell to mm-hmm. make Joyce have headaches, to her be sick, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, it allows you to be able to see the spells around yeah. them. And I really, really like – Xander in this moment. I think Xander gets a lot of crap for this moment because they're like, oh my gosh, he's like, you know, telling Anya what to do and stuff. I felt like he was actually being very kind to her and they actually have like a cute little rapport going yeah, no, on they, where they were great this episode. Yeah, where he's like, hey, Anya, like this is the correct way, the polite way of maybe dealing with this kind of thing. But he says it very honestly, which I think she responds to. She appreciates things mm-hmm. being said. She's as they not are. the type that Xander could sugarcoat things with. Like, no, I honestly resonate with Anya in that way. Where I don't do well mm-hmm. when people try and sugarcoat things to me. I, I just yeah. want the truth, and I feel like when people sugarcoat things, I think they're lying. Yeah, and so I feel like Xander in that way is very good for Anya because Xander does have a certain, like a certain blunt honestness that she has. So I think they complement each other in that way. Well, you know what also works with them too is since she doesn't know much, Xander intrinsically needs to be needed. And so I think that it works with them. Sounds like someone else. Yeah. 
Um, so I think it really works with him because like if he is someone who can help her with things and teach her how to do things or even do things for her, he feels needed in the relationship. And for her, she needs guidance because she's a new human, you know? Right. Back at the warehouse, poor Glory tied up the monk, um, starts going a little bit crazy, getting super like close to him, putting her hands on his knees and saying she wants the key. She needs the key. Ask them where, he, where it is, to which he replies and says, like, you just need to kill me. I'm not going to say anything. Um, and she has this whole like, like rant dialogue. Mm-hmm. And I just love watching it. Like she just like, I don't know how they can complain about her acting because I was like, whoa, like, I don't know. I I thought like she I think she did such a great job. Claire Kramer had such a dynamic role in this episode playing Glory. Like you almost feel bad for her in this moment. Yeah. She's torturing this guy, but she's sitting there going, "Please, I just want to go home. All I want is the key. Why won't you give it to me?" And and the fact that you don't know that Dawn is the key at this point makes you kind of sympathetic to this whole thing and you're you're led to believe that it's the Dagon sphere that they have. Um, but the way that she plays this is just it's great and the script even describes it as um, she's a five-year-old who needs a nap. Like she's playing it almost childlike. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I think it's really interesting. Well, it's like it's it's the whole idea too of like when you're forced out of um, stuff that's comfort to you, a lot of times <laughs> your intellect and your age kind of like deteriorates in the moment. It's almost it's like kind of like being overstimulated really makes me feel like a seven-year-old in the grocery store. Like if yeah. I'm if I'm around so many people and, and people keep asking me questions, I'm there for hours or it's like there's loud music or whatever and I'm just feeling so overstimulated or when I'm around kids for more than – I mean my I work with kids. But like <laughs> there are certain days where I'm like if they ask me one more question, I think I'm going <laughs> to cry. Like <laughs> I feel so overstimulated, yeah. you know? Right. It's just so funny how people work like that. There's certain things that make people so overstimulated where like you're like, if someone asks me again, I feel like they're going to get tantrum. Like that's where I yeah. feel mentally, you know? And it's so, like her being far away from home and then in her eyes from what we've seen, it's so simple. It's like, just give me the freaking key. And right. from what we know so far in this episode, the key, like Sarah said, could be the Dagon Sphere, which is like just an orb. We're not thinking right. it's this whole like intangible – portal opener yeah it's not just like some energy (laughs) yeah right um well and i mean her pleading to him with tears in her eyes saying i wish you could feel what i'm feeling right now like it's just this moment is so dynamic and yeah it's compelling honestly Well, she goes she goes like desperate and then uh, and then we see her like you know suck the energy out of um the other security dude and you're like Mm -hmm. oh shoot and I want to point out that in her speech where she kind of goes a little bit crazy, you know, when she's saying all the random stuff, she squeezes something in there that's really, really important. She says, wriggling, pilling, plowing, crawling, clowning, cavorting, doing it over and over and over and over again until somebody's got to sit down on their tuffet and make this birthing stop. And I already talked about the birthing, but the tuffet, guys, little Miss Muffet, and our ears should perk up because that's what Faith said to Buffy in graduation day about 730, uh, Little Miss Muffet counting down to 730. And uh, yeah, so we're like, hmm, the pieces are all falling into place. So back in the magic shop after Anya tells Buffy about the whole spell that can kind of help see if her mom is being um, manipulated uh, magically, 
Oh, uh, I guess that happens here actually. So we jumped. Yeah, we kind of got out of order. It's okay. <laughs> Anya's thriving while helping, and then yeah. also helping Buffy in this moment when it comes to magic. So good for Anya this episode. Willow's rap job is me. <laughs> she I funny. cannot rap to save my life. She like so. hands it to her, and her face is like intrinsically embarrassed. She's like, here you go. She's like, this is, is fine. this right? Is her hand still sticking to the tape yeah, on the outside? Um, so apparently Emma Caulfield told uh, BBC that she wasn't a natural shopkeeper in her pre-acting days, but soon figured out in one waitressing job that if she told customers the food was rubbish, but the drinks were great, she got far bigger tips at the end of each evening. What? Because <laughs> people are like, oh, she must be telling the truth. Uh, that's so funny. Yeah. Um, so back at the house, we have Buffy. She apparently called Riley over to make him seem like he's like really important in this, you know, magic spell. To soothe his poor, fragile male ego. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And he's like, don't worry, Buffy. I'm fine. I'm like, but are you, babes? No. Okay. Are you? Okay. okay. So first of all, Buffy is trying really hard to include she him is. and help make him feel useful. But I can't help but feel like this wouldn't be necessary if Riley had his own life and his own things going on. And then, okay, Riley's saying, I'm fine, Buffy. You know, look, I'm, you know, much manlier, like all this other stuff. Okay, who was not communicating here? Riley. It clearly bothered him earlier. And this has been like a common thing. And they're alone. This is a moment where he can actually have that conversation with her. He's not telling her. And also, okay, Buffy has every reason to try to make things better because who was punching walls in the last episode? Riley. So Buffy's mm-hmm. like, oh my gosh, if I like hurt him or if I like bruise his ego too much, he's going to go leave and I'll have to go find him and I need to figure out who it's my, like what's hurting my mom. Mm-hmm. Gosh. I forgot that was last episode. That feels like season four arc I know, era. doesn't it? <laughs> right? I only know because I just had to edit that entire episode and I was like, oh my gosh, I don't <laughs> have to listen to this again. I already forgot about that. Yeah. I I do appreciate Riley's, maybe instead of you trying to take care of me, we agree to take care of each other. And I'm like, that is really sweet. That is healthy. But I don't believe you. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So they have that weird conversation that's not really a conversation. And then Riley kisses her, then leaves. She tries to do the spell. And then classic Dawn interrupts her by banging on the door. (laughs) And she's like, can I watch, please? She's like, I can smell your incense down the hallway. And then... (laughs) Buffy's like rolling up a towel to kind of like <laughs> shove underneath the door so that they can't smell it. Everyone needs locks in their doors, man. Why does no one have locks? Giles, yeah. Buffy. <laughs> yeah. Also, a little part of me dies every time I see Buffy pour the red sand all over yes, the white rug. The white- <laughs> yes. Uh-huh. Okay. And correct me if I'm wrong. I think the shirt that Buffy's wearing, didn't it belong to somebody? I think it was in... Was in it Friends? Friends or was in Sex in the City? I think it was both, maybe. I know they share similar ones. I know that there's a, a white lacy top that's in Friends that Rachel wears. And Willow wears two different tops that Phoebe wears. Yeah. Um, and there's I'm fairly certain. In the later seasons. I don't know if this one is, though. I'm pretty sure this shirt is worn by Carrie from Sex and the City. Look it up. Yeah, I think there's like one or two that's from Sex and the City. You might be right. Yeah. Um, Yep. They show the images for shirts. How did you find it so quickly? I just Googled it. (laughs) I did too. I'm really good at Googling things. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, here it is. Yep. Oh, you're right, Carrie wears it. Yeah. Oh, I wonder. This looks like season one, Carrie. Oh, yeah. I didn't know about this one. I know know the, the Willow and Phoebe shirts and I know one of the 
Rachel and Buffy shirts. Yeah, I forgot that there was like one or two, which is funny because Sarah Michelle Gellar is a huge fan of Sex and the City right. and obviously is in an episode in season two. Um, yeah, and I think but, this season of Buffy is when she goes on to Sex and the C- City. You can tell because of her yeah. hair. We're like, this looks like season five of Buffy. Well, because season one of Sex and the City was 99. So season two was in 2000. So yeah, she would have mm-hmm. already shot it. That's yep. funny. I love this scene. The way that they decide to do this is just, it's oh, beautiful. Oh, it's just a masterclass. Like, I mean, like it it kind of uh, pans into like nighttime and then Buffy stands up and just like the eeriness and like the, the, music, the music or like, yes. And then she walks down and then like her talking to Joyce and it's being all muffled. Um, and then the way that it's done too, like you, Obviously, we know now that Dawn is the key and all that sort of stuff. But, like, I don't remember watching this episode for the first time, which, like, kind of bugs me because I'm like, dang, like, it's been so long now that, like, my first experiences of the show is so, like, far removed that it's hard for me to remember specific moments of, like, oh, I remember the first time I watched this episode. But, like, the way that it's done is, like, she's talking to Joyce and in the corner you see the mm-hmm. picture of Dawn, like, escaping and then mm-hmm. – or, like – um. Uh, in being invisible and then coming back into the picture. But it's not like panned on it. Like it's done in a way that like you catch it first organically. Um, and then you see her because you're supposed to be Buffy in that moment. It's supposed to be jarring. Yes. And then you turn. Yeah. Like it's done so well. Yeah. I love that you're seeing this from Buffy's perspective. Joyce yeah. is looking at you. I love that this is – And she goes to another picture too. She checks it out in another spot. Right. This is four or five episodes from when we first met Dawn. There's tiebacks to Real Me. Um, the music that is being played right here is the same music that we heard when Buffy was meditating in Real Me, which is a really cool continuity. This episode or this season does a really good job with continuity and also sprinkling in little things that become important in later episodes. Like it's it's unparalleled and it's it's uh, tying of everything together. Um, mm-hmm. And I love that we know that Buffy's been practicing with Giles because we saw it. Um, yeah. And then, I mean, the pictures and everything, it's just, oh, it's so good. And then Joyce looking mm-hmm. at Buffy and then saying, you're, you're so grown up. Again, this is a recognition of like Joyce saying, okay, I see you for who you are, but mm-hmm. also like the theory that we are Buffy, I know some people read into that. I know Passion of the Nerd is really big on that. He's like, we are supposed to relate with Buffy because she's a representation of us as we go into adolescence. Um, but then also Buffy talking this entire episode about how she wishes she was a child like mm-hmm. Dawn, like she wishes she could have the childhood Dawn has. And then Joyce saying that, it just was – it felt like a really intimate moment of we are both real. And then all of a sudden having to go upstairs with Dawn. I don't know. It's just – it was great. This is the perfect episode to watch after you've seen the Barbie movie too. Like everyone's just talking about like the loss of girlhood. Um, Yeah. And so it's just – it's really – it's very fun to see this episode after that. And just like having like Glory be introduced. I'm like, ah, women love us. Yeah. Um, And she like walks upstairs and this part was the sickest part to me. Like she walks into like Dawn's room and you see the storage room of what it actually should be. Yeah, Joyce is all her art stuff. Yes, and she has a little like um, sewing machine in the corner. And I'm like, this is exactly what a parent would use like an extra room for. Um, And like Dawn comes in and is like like completely disappearing as she's speaking and then coming back in. And even like the vibrance of Dawn's room versus like the um, extra room, like the supply room or whatever. It's like Mm -hmm. not lit because no one would be using it that much, you know. Um, It's just – it's so good. And poor Dawn, like looking 
looking at it from like a second view on, you're like, oh, right. poor, poor Don. But in the moment, you're like, shoot, who is this girl? Like, is she trying to kill Joyce? You know? Yeah. So you're like, you're you're thinking the same thing way Buffy is. She's like manhandling her. She's like throwing her against like it was a um, little rough too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's like, you're not my sister. Well, uh, and it's so hard too because it, as an audience, it's like you're sitting here and kind of being like. Yeah, she's not Buffy's sister. Like mm-hmm. we know that. Like, <laughs> yeah. but it's also like hard because it's like, then what is she? Like, right? Yeah, she's the key. But what does that mean? Is she cognitive? Is she? Does she feel things? Does, does she, she have a purpose? Like, yeah, or is she just like? We don't really know fully what that means. Does and she so know what the yeah. key is? It's just so complicated. It's so it's so confusing, and I love that we're getting only fragments of the picture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the the phone ringing reminded me of when a stranger calls I'm like the call is coming from inside the house like finding out that you know Dawn at this point thinking that she might be the reason for Joyce's headaches you're like oh my gosh it just was kind of a cool moment mm-hmm. just very well done um, Buffy goes downstairs because she gets a call from Giles and he says that the orb is the Dagon Sphere and it's a protective thing used to ward ancient primordial evil so from our perspective you're like oh shoot dawn is evil like that's scary mm-hmm. and then buffy's about to explain that that like she did the spell or whatever and dawn just dawn like behind materializes her. behind mm-hmm. her and she's like what are you doing which is funny because like this is dawn's not acting any differently but the way that they frame it and then like yeah. the music and everything because we're from buffy's perspective you're like, is this annoying younger sister or is this evil incarnate? We don't yeah, know. Sometimes it's the same thing. <laughs> you know what? They blend together sometimes. <laughs> it's hard to tell which is which. <laughs> Leah's tuning us out. She's like, you guys are so mean. <laughs> I'm, I'm telling mom. <laughs> no, I think it's, it's so interesting because it's like. I work with kids, okay? I know how annoying little kids can be. Like, it's no, like I'm you can go that. home every day. But, <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I, I'm saying like I get, like I get to a certain extent what it's like to, to be like older than kids and be like, oh my god, I want to kill myself. I want to kill you. But <laughs> at the same time, it's like it's so interesting being a younger sibling. Like I can't even explain it, but it's like. You, you're aware sometimes when you're doing stuff that you're like, bro, that's so annoying. Or like, bro, you need to shut up. <laughs> but then it's also like, no, like you're sitting there and you're like, no, like no one is listening. No one is hearing yeah. me. And even if they yeah. are, it doesn't feel like it. You feel like you have to scream because people won't yeah. listen to you unless you're making a fuss because you're so little. You're always the youngest person in the room. So therefore, you have to cause the most commotion. Otherwise, people won't take you seriously. Like, right. I feel like... As a youngest sibling, the reason why they're so chaotic a lot of times, why they cause such a ruckus is because they 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 want that desire to to be listened heard to and, and heard. Seen. And they yeah. they think that the only way that they can get that is by like forcing people to focus on them, even if it's in a negative way. Mm-hmm. Um and so I think that I just can never really hate Dawn because I look at her and I'm like, I mm-hmm. I get it. Mm-hmm. And I mean, she's going through things that no one else has ever gone through. So it's like, mm-hmm. there's also that added layer as well. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> Dawn's like, what are you talking about? She's like, Slayer stuff. <laughs> I'm going out. And I was like, so much for Dawn can't be home by herself. Buffy's like, leaving you to the wolves. Hopefully Harmony comes back. <laughs> well, and this part's funny too, because she's like, um, she's like, I'll be out for an hour. And she's like, well, I don't care that you're the Slayer. And then she's like, well, 
um, she's like, well, mom's coming back. And then it's funny because like both this dialogue both works for both like younger sibling yes. being annoying and then her also being evil. It seems like she's right. like threatening the fact that like we'll all be alone with mom. You never know what I'm right. going to do to her. And then Buffy's like, well, I'll be back before then. She's like, fine. <laughs> she yeah. <leaves. laughs> yeah. Yeah. And in this moment, I love how I forget that Spike hasn't oh, seen Buffy. Oh, I forgot Buffy it was this episode. I completely had, forgot about it. Yes. There were so many funny moments. Like we have the out for a walk bitch part. And then we yes. have Giles wearing his wizard hat. Uh-huh. And then we have the reveal of glory, the reveal of Dawn. This, yeah, this episode yeah, just had this episode's everything. Good. Yeah. yeah. When Buffy like walks down, she's like on a mission. And then she stops and is like, wait a minute. And then she just like, without missing a beat, goes and grabs something and then pulls also, Spike into view. I don't want to hear it about Angel and walking around and then bumping into Buffy when she needs him, like outside the house. He never stalked Buffy and stared at her with like dozens of buds outside of him smoking. Yes, there was that time when she got turned, but it was also because uh, whatever his name is, Whistler. What are you talking about? Um, oh, Whistler oh. told him to go and and like observe the uh, Slayer for a day and figure out if he wants yeah. to do a mission. It wasn't because right. he was stalking Buffy. It was because he was told to do it. Right. And then he was like, oh, I want to help her. Like it, he wasn't stalking Buffy for like – and staring at her through her window, her bedroom window for God knows how long because we see like dozens – of yeah. cigarettes. So I don't want to hear it. I'm sorry. <laughs> I have to, I have to say that. Like people like tend to forget that because it's it's done in a humorous way. It's not done in like a for some reason people get blinded when it's done in like a funny way. People right. don't think of things as like serious as it is. Like Spike almost tried like metaphorically our wording Willow in season four in right. the dorm room, but in this world tried killing her. <laughs> Same thing, really. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> right. Like, you know, sucking her blood, whatever. And it's like done a humorous way. And it's funny. Haha, laughy, laughy. But even we were like, this is funny. But also it is very traumatizing. He puts on the radio. Like, like yeah. he has no soul. It's like this is intrinsically creepy. Yeah. But the scene is also funny. You know what I mean? Like you could see both things. Like we're addressing both things here. Like it is totally. funny. Yes, but, but it's also there's creepy. a creepy, especially knowing that he's now like thinking he likes he's her in love now with her. Yes, then he's and then I mean when he talks about how he's like he's like satisfied. I really do hope so because God knows you need some satisfaction in life besides shagging Captain Cardboard. And then he motions up to her bedroom window, uh-huh. and we, we know, know that Buffy, we don't know if he's seen them actually oh shagging. You know what I mean? Yes, right. What is with everybody wanting to watch Buffy and Riley go at it? Yeah, for real. Like, I actually would pay money not to see that. I don't want to see it. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh my gosh, bro. And we had to it's, for yeah, an entire to. episode. We had to sit through a full episode. I'm like, bro, I was begging for you to let me see a scene with Buffy and Angel. And the one we got was we got in dreams. away from us. A boss in dreams. And then you give me so much of Riley Please, I'm I'm begging, I'm begging. I'd rather see Xander and Riley. Like at this point, it's just it's so why Riley? It's so heinous. <laughs> Xander and Anya. <laughs> she doesn't mean shagging. Yeah. She doesn't mean make like having uh, sex. She just means she just would watch yeah, just Riley and Xander screen. together. Yeah, like I would rather have them on my screen. I mean, yeah, no, I don't want them having sex either. Actually, <laughs> I just realized how that was framed. That would actually probably be more traumatizing because I don't like either of them. But it's just like, bro, like please. Please, Riley is the most unsexy person I've ever seen on my screen ever. 
I, I beg of you. Riley, not to Mark stop Lucas. Putting, uh, we have to specify that. Mark Lucas is Lucas Yeah, is no, I'm very not talking about the actor. I'm talking about the character Riley. I don't know what his last name is, but Riley Riley. It's just the worst. <laughs> Riley, Riley. <laughs> Riley Finn. Oh, that's right. Finn. <laughs> Riley Fish. Mr. Riley Lilac. Finn Tails. Yeah, Mr. Lilac. Lilac one. I like how he sees her and he's like, hey, Buffy. Like he's like all the script says is dopey. And then he, you know, he goes, Bobby's like, look, I don't want you to take this the wrong way, but what are you doing here? And he was, and she's like, five words or less. And then he's like, gotta remind myself and her that I'm actually <laughs> evil and tough. Walk, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> he just is trying so hard to be tough. And she's like, outside my house at night. No one has time for this, William. And then he's like, on your merry way, then, contrary to one <laughs> self-involved worldview, your house happens to be directly between parts and other parts of town. He's like, yeah, well, I never really liked you anyway, and you have stupid hair. <laughs> <laughs> this is giving uh, seventh grade boy has a crush on seventh grade girl and, and doesn't know he's how so to. cool. Yeah. He's like, let me belittle yeah. her so that she knows that I like her. I like that she doesn't see him as a real threat. She sees his cigarettes and is like, she's oh, annoyed. Important thing. And <laughs> yeah. then she sees Dawn alone in the house is like, eh, she might let him in. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> well, she's not even concerned about him. She's like, uh, he won't even do anything. Yeah, right. I've got bigger fish to fry, and she does. Well, he can't even hurt her. Well, well, actually, as far as she knows, Don is not human, so he could <laughs> hurt her. That's what I'm saying. She's like, go ahead. Don's alone in the house. How <laughs> But maybe, maybe she hasn't thought about it too much. And also, Spike thinks she's human, so he would not even try to, you know? But this is a huge contrast to a couple episodes Honestly, ago. Honestly, when she said she was leaving, I was like, dang. I was like, <laughs> I did not think that Buffy would just leave her like younger sister home. But also maybe she thinks she's evil. I don't know. Anyway, um, so Buffy goes back to the warehouse, breaks in. And then we jump back um, to the Summer's house. Joyce comes back really soon because she got too exhausted and had her headache again. To which Dawn um, <laughs> decided to give her some tea and – for us, we're like, oh my gosh, is she going to poison Don't drink Joyce? it, Joyce. That's why five? your headaches are happening. I know, right? Very crimson <laughs> peak of her. Yeah, seriously. Oh my gosh. Triggering. <laughs> I love that movie. <laughs> Me too, movie. but it's a little triggering. I want to rewatch it because I was traumatized the first time. I want to rewatch it so I can really soak it in now. Yeah, the first time I was like, this cannot. No. <laughs> yeah. And then the second time I watched it, I was like, okay, I know going ahead, I can mentally prepare yep. myself. <laughs> Uh, I really think this moment in the factory where Buffy is kind of walking in is interesting because they frame Buffy similar to, to Glory. So they have Buffy walking into the space that Glory was in. You see the metal door ripped off of its hinges and there's like, you know, the little uh, crack in the door frame from where it was and Buffy's standing there and they shoot her exactly the same as they shoot Glory. And so mm -hmm. they're framing Buffy and Glory very similar, which I just, I Well, I you know what's parallels. funny? Uh, okay, so this is going to sound real weird, but like because I've seen Buffy so many freaking times and I've also seen everything Sam Michelle Geller has been in, I know exactly what she looks like, you know, from behind. Yes. So like the certain scenes when she's walking and I swear it's not her, like when she's walking from afar, one of them looks like – and she's just walking. It's not like she's doing any stunts. And I was like, that is not Sarah Michelle Gellar. That's what they do commonly in um, TV shows and even in movies. They have stand-ins. So anytime there's a shot where you don't have to see the person's face, it's a stand-in, 100%. Why? Why do they do that? Because that's – 
time and money. So the actor, so that'll be considered, yes, that'll be considered a B-roll. And so you'll say, okay, we know we want these shots. So therefore, all of the shots that are going to show their face, we'll clock that in and schedule a night with Sarah Michelle Gellar. We'll do all of them. But then that allows more freedom and flexibility to be able to have the stand and do all the other ones. So yeah, I agree with you. Because when she walks up the steps before she goes into the warehouse is her. But then her inside the warehouse before we see her face is not her. Yeah, uh, it, yeah, it's pretty much a double, and I feel like the doubles get a little bit um, easier to spot as the show goes I think on I'm because just crazy of the lighting. And I just know, but also the, yeah. her hair is a little bit fuller. Like it, yes. it's not Sarah Michelle Gellar's hair. It was funny because when we Leah and I were talking about um, Sanctuary over on Angel, there was a moment where when it was the episode Buffy was over on Angel, and Buffy and Wesley are supposed to drive up in the car in front of the jail because Angel's been taken, um, he's been arrested by Kate. And you have that quick moment where Buffy and Wesley drive up in Angel's car and they get out and they go in and it's all shot from really far away and you don't see it. But Buffy has that curly hair and I paused it at one point to do something and you can clearly see it's not Sarah Michelle Gellar and it's a blatant wig. And they do it constantly and it's very much Alexis Denisoff, but it's not Sarah Michelle Gellar. Um, And they do that because especially on Buffy, the hours were so long and Sarah Michelle Gellar is so busy. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, So Buffy's kind of looking around the warehouse, uh, finds the monk still tied up with bruises all over his body, clearly being tortured by Glory, um, but she didn't kind of suck his energy or his whatever out of him, his soul out of him, because she needs to know where the key is. Um, So Buffy's like trying to get him untied, and we see Glory like sneaking behind. She's so funny. She's just so fascinating to watch. Yeah. Like she just And is, entertaining too. Yeah, like she's creepy but like entertaining and just like oh she just she adds so much to season five. She adds so much life. She's unlike any villain we've ever seen before. And not just because yep. she's a woman, but she's just very different. Well, and the, like just like I said, like there's already stakes immediately because she gives her one backhanded hit and Buffy goes flying. Anytime they do that in the show where like they genuinely show Buffy like like because she could take hits and show her head will spin a little bit. Mm. Um, But anytime she gets like thrown it's always so jarring. There's a couple times in season seven. I know you guys know what I'm talking about where the first time I watched it I was like shell shocked. I was like that was that was hard. Like, I've never seen her being flown like that, you know? And this is one of those moments. I like that Buffy knows that she's being snuck up on. Like, it's a trap. Like, yep. Buffy's not stupid, as she says. <laughs> yep. Um. So back at the magic shop, it's at the end of the day, and the gang looks exhausted. I just love seeing them together. Yes. And like such a normal sense. We just didn't see enough of them together in season four. So anytime they're together, I feel like it's – I'm like, oh, this is so rare. But really, that's mm-hmm. how it was up until season four. Um, Anya's still going. She's like counting the money. She's giving him like <laughs> recommendations for like uh, racking up certain projects that were like a huge hotspot that day. Um, and Giles is like, Anya, after the seventh time, do you want a job? <laughs> and she's like, okay. But I love it. I love seeing Anya grow in a way. Like she's she's making something of her own it's it's apart from Xander and like yeah it's for money but whatever like so is any job like it's cool to see I like seeing Anya have her own interests apart from 
Xander. Like, it's nice seeing a love interest have interests apart from their love. Yeah. No, totally. And this is what we're missing out with Tara and Riley right now. Um, And there's actually a couple moments in in the script for this episode that they cut out of Xander like audibly applauding Anya and touting her. Um, There was one moment in the scene prior where they were all together and she was like wrapping everything and then she like showed it off. Xander was supposed to say, wow, like Scooby of the year right here. Look how well she wrapped everything. And then there was a moment here that they cut off where Xander says, way to go, Anya. That's very empowering. Dinner's on you. (laughs) But like there's little moments there that they kind of cut out, which I'm like, come on. Like anytime they have Xander in a positive light, especially when it comes to women. I'm like, we need to see more of this. Oh, Giles tells the gang that Buffy's spell apparently didn't work and that she hope he hopes that she doesn't do anything rash to which they do the classic jumping next to the scene and Buffy's being like wailed on by Poor Glory. Buffy. And I feel like the way that the stunt double and Sarah Michelle Geller play this, they play it as if Buffy is half just shocked. That's why she's not fighting back. Like she can't believe this is happening. Yeah. Well, Buffy's not really used to losing a fight like that. No. Or to a girl. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Girls aren't very strong, you guys, if you didn't know that. Um, Buffy starts fighting back and Glory's like shell shocked. She's like, ow, that actually really hurt. She's like, you can't go around hitting people. Who do you think you are? (laughs) But I also like the fact that you can kind of see that Glory's a little impressed. Like she's like, Yeah. She's like, You hit me? Like you're crazy because she's so used to people just cowering in fear. And you see Buffy like have a moment of like, you know what? I'm not going to win this fight right now. So she grabs the monk and then plummets out the window this like is pretty cool. three stories high. No wonder why he doesn't survive, Buffy. You literally just killed him right there. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I'm not going to make it. I'm like, maybe he will. And then Buffy's like, let's see about that. <laughs> <laughs> I like to think she broke the fall a little bit. But also, you can just – it feels like they're upping the stakes a little bit, like this fight and then her going out the window. Like, I don't think we've really seen a stunt quite like this on the show in a while. It's kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, Glory is very share coded. So is Buffy. So I love that for her. This is really great. Glory trying to go after them and then her heel cracking and then she gets distracted. Amazing. I love it. <laughs> she gets like angry stomps and then I was like, this is such a girly move. Like, so funny. And then like the whole like structure of the third floor just goes cracking down. I was like, amazing. Whoever wrote that in the script, amazing. Yeah. And you can see her like starting to say, oh shit. <laughs> like you're mouthing it as it I comes down. I love when down. they do that in the show. <laughs> they did that with – um. With Vampire Willow before she dies. Yes. <laughs> yep. <laughs> okay. And then from here on out, guys, I just cry. I cry. Go for it, Sarah. I, I can't. I mean, I mean, <laughs> I wonder why. You should tell us why, Sarah. I oh, wonder. you all know why. <laughs> you guys know why. Stop making fun of me. No, but like, I, I can't accurately portray this scene. It's just beautiful. And I got to give a shout out to, I mean, Sarah Michelle Geller's acting is oh, amazing yes. as always. It's incredible. Like that that goes beyond. But this scene would not be as amazing as it is if it wasn't for the actor who plays the monk. Oh, absolutely. He killed it. Ravel Isyanov. He's a Russian, I believe. Um, he just did such a good job. He has a lot of exposition that he has to give while conveying him being brutally tortured and about to die. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really hard to do believably. And this is also like a huge weighty moment. And so the the way they play off of each other, it could come across very soapy 
and it just comes across as heart-wrenching and it's beautiful. It's so endearing. Yeah. It's beautiful. So he says, you have to protect the key. Buffy says, right, sure, I know. We'll do it together. And he says, many have died, many more if you don't keep it safe. He says, the key is energy. It's a portal. It opens the door. And Buffy's thinking it's the Dagon sphere. And he's like, no, for centuries, it had no form at all. My brethren, are we're its only keepers. And then he says, the abomination motioning back to glory said, she found us. We had to hide the key, gave it form, molded it flesh, made it human and sent it to you. So the way this exposition is, it's it's bits and pieces broken together, which I think is also helpful. So it's not like this one long sentence. He's like, I'm dying. And then he's like, and then there was a key that came down. And like, we normally I feel like most TV shows would use this moment to give a flashback. And then you'd see them like with this energy, this essence and what it can do. But this is all conveyed through two characters talking about it. And the reason it works so well without any of the fancy flashbacks and stuff is because we already have an emotional attachment to Dawn. And the way that they chose to do this reveal is, I will forever say, is one of the best twists that I've ever seen on television because they they dropped Dawn in the show and then just made us love her or made us get used to her being around and saw her attachment to every single character and then revealed who she was. Like... So, so smart, honestly. Um, so then he says, you know, uh, the abomination found us. He says, molded it flesh, made it human, and sent it to you. And you can see Sarah Michelle Geller's face. She does what she does mm-hmm. best, her micro expressions. You can see Buffy figures it out before he even says molded into flesh. She knows who he's talking about. Um, and I don't want to break the sweetness of this moment, but like, why did they make it a sister? Why did they just make it like a piece of sand and put it on the beach or like a plate of grass? <laughs> or like one fish in the ocean or right. like- You know how easy that would be? Yeah. Like yeah. one fish in the deepest part of the ocean. Or like, why didn't they make it like a fork in Buffy's house? Like something she could hide. Or right. Like, why did it need to be a freaking person who had feet like- Come on, y'all monks. Like, you guys couldn't have thought of that a little better. Or, like, why couldn't it be, like, uh, like an organ in Buffy's body? Like, something like that where it's <laughs> yeah. like... Oh, right, right. And that that's the one like big loophole. Um, because if they had decided to make it like a rock in Buffy's front yard, there's no way in, in the world that But it would have such a stupid storyline, guys. We'd I know. Like, Why did they add that <laughs> <No>. in? <laughs> no, I I just have to say it because you know, logically it makes sense, but no, okay. So back to the emotional stuff. So Buffy says Dawn, the monk nods and says she is the key. And I want to mention now too, this season has a lot of parallels to season two. Um, And I've talked a lot about how season two has probably one of the most emotional storylines ever. Like, I mean, Becoming is just God tier for finale and it works so well because you don't care about the fate of the world. You care about Buffy and Angel and you care about Buffy's response to Angel being a bad guy. And seasons three, um, four, not so much, but season three and even season one, while great and amazing, and I love them so much, there isn't as much of an emotional crux to an attachment to everything that's going on and lead up to the finale as there is with season two. And what season five does so well is it marries the two. You have a compelling and very scary villain while also it being an emotionally impactful season. Um, and because of this, season five parallels season two a ton. And I'm going to point that out as we go along, but 
one of them is portals. So this idea of needing a key to open the portal. And in season two, Angel was the key that opened the portal with his blood. And in this season, it's Dawn. So it's interesting that both Dawn and Angel, as we've talked before, serve the same function and role in both seasons. And that they kind of are there to be uh, Buffy's emotional crux for the season. Um, So I think that's just interesting. So then Buffy says, you put that thing in my home. The monk says, we knew the Slayer would protect. And then Buffy says, and this this is completely like valid. She says, my memories, my mom's memories. And he says, we built them. She says, unbuild them. This is my life. Like this is a violation and I want to recognize that. They went into Buffy's mind and they added things. They took – I don't know if they took well, things out. Well, and they out, manufactured but, emotions. And so it's like yeah. now Buffy is in this position of like, do I genuinely love this girl? Yes. Or is it yes. something that was constructed? Right. And so it's like she's she's kind of feeling crazy and feeling like, oh my gosh, what parts are genuine? What's, what yeah. parts are – Fake and also like, what would my relationship with my mom look like if, if Dawn wasn't there? Yes. What kind of life would I have? Like, mm-hmm. Buffy feels like she just got the rug ripped under her. Yeah, Buffy doesn't remember the first four seasons like we do. So she's like, how much of my life has been shaped by having this person inserted? But also, too, some people have pointed out the parallels between this spell and what Jonathan did to everybody, an augmentation spell. And Jonathan was lambasted for it. This is very similar. But then also another layer on top of that, we've seen Glory reach into people's brains and extract something that makes them different and changes and stuff. And these monks went into Buffy's brain and Joyce's brain and everybody else's brain and changed things as well. So It's interesting that the things that they're doing is somewhat similar. And so it draws this neat parallel of like, is Glory actually a bad guy? Uh, Or what the monk's doing, is it it maybe for a good cause, but is it, is what they're doing right? So it adds some really like interesting layers when it comes to morality. Um, So the monk says, you cannot abandon her. Buffy says, I didn't ask for this. I don't even know what she is. Uh, This feels like a whole other layer of being chosen all over again. Buffy's being asked to do something she didn't ask for yet again. And the monk says, human. She is human now and helpless. This is where I lose it. He says, please. She's an innocent in this and she needs you. And then he said, and then Buffy says, she's not my sister. And then he says, she doesn't know that. And that's the moment that gives me goosebumps. Yeah, that part every time. Like her her performance of she's not my sister is first of it, I mean, she, oh my gosh, she shows so many different levels of emotion. And I know we, it's like beating a dead horse at this point, but it's like she constantly shows the nuance of what it is to be a girl. And then a woman in the show all the time. Yeah. Like, yeah. She re- like she took the burden on to represent us so well. And that feels so stupid because she's like a superhero. But it's like, I mean, it's supposed to be like this whole metaphor of like going up, growing up from girlhood to like womanhood. Like it's, it's, they do it with such care. But in this moment, like Sarah Michelle Gellar really just put her all into Buffy. And this moment, her being like, she's not my sister is like, it's like, all things relief, grief, sadness. Oh, mm-hmm. it's a burden now. Um, and like processing, also being scared. Like it's all these emotions and with it. And I don't yeah. know how people do that. I don't know how like – like I feel like it's so hard to replicate an emotion like that that's not your 
own experience. And I know that's the whole job of being an actor, but like there right. are moments like it's this so where I'm like, how do you do that? Like, yeah. like when when something painful like that happens to me and I say or do things, I can't see what I look like. Right. I can so feel so many am emotions. Am I conveying it in an yeah. accurate way? So it's yeah. weird seeing somebody like portray all those emotions and it's not their life. Right. That's just – that's insane to me. I'm like, where is that yeah. tapping from? Like, like I don't know. I just wish I could just ask her that in the moment because I'm sure it's been so long she wouldn't know. But like uh, I don't know. I'm like, is it just huge empathy for Buffy's character, which is a huge part. But it's like where – how are you – bringing up all these emotions and they're like it's conveying to masses like everyone who talks about Sarah Michelle Gellar's acting always says the same thing she's so expressive with her eyes like you feel like I mean same thing like I'm not gonna call other actors out not in this show but in other things but like sometimes I'll watch shows and I'm like there's this huge dialogue and I'm like oh this could be so good and they're just deciding it it. their eyes are not doing anything or sometimes like they'll be they'll the tears will come down which is so weird that you could be tearful and yet there's no emotion there. But I've seen it happen where it's like there's tears yeah. going down and I'm like, okay, you, that, you probably sat there for 45 minutes to make yourself have one glistening, beautiful tear. <laughs> but you're not showing me the emotions. Yeah. And like, I don't know, dude. I just – I don't know how she was nominated for an Emmy. I do not know how she mm-hmm. went anything in her career. It's actually crazy to me. It's because she always ended up in niche things like Buffy, Scooby-Doo. Like, I feel like the biggest thing that she did, to my knowledge, was uh, Cruel Intentions. Mm -hmm. And I mean, she freaking killed it. But also that movie wasn't like, it wasn't, to my knowledge, it wasn't released like in a lot of movie theaters. Like, so it's like, I feel like she's, she's always taken these amazing roles and it's, when people have seen it, they acknowledge it, but it's like it's not seen by a lot of people. Well, her terror, and I know she did last summer. She was huge, and Cruel Intentions was huge. It's like yeah. everyone knew about Sarah Michelle Gellar. She was the it girl. The thing was, is that Buffy not itself people watched was Buffy. not nominated. Yeah, yeah, because also, it was supernatural. People didn't. People who watched Buffy loved it, but again, it stayed niche because it really hit a certain audience. So, right. but also, there's a huge issue with horror. Um, in general, horror yeah. anything not being seen critically. Like mm-hmm. I think Hereditary is one of the only ones that's really seen that way or even The Shining or like Psycho. But like those have so many different layers to it that people objectively can see. And it's like, I don't know. There's directors and stuff that go into that that are very like famous and stuff. Mm-hmm. But like there's so many other ones that are done that are just, oh my gosh. I think Jordan Peele is one of those newer ones people are starting to see mm-hmm. a little bit more and recognizing that you can use this genre and show so many parts of people. And I'm not talking about like slasher gore horror. I'm talking about like thriller, psychological stuff, like even niches like Buffy the Vampire Slayer is not horror, but there's horror aspects. Mm -hmm. And so anything underneath that genre, people dismiss in award season. And that's always been a thing, which is a bummer. So the last thing I'll say about this scene is um, it's interesting because that last moment where he says that Dawn doesn't know that she's the key um, resonates with Buffy. And All Things Philosophical has a quote, they say, 
Both have been forced, both Buffy and Dawn have been forced with a destiny not of their choosing. Dawn may not know it yet, but she has a purpose bigger than being a girl. How precious these moments of innocence must be for her, although only Buffy, who was forced with a burden herself, can see it. Soon Dawn is going to have to be something more, probably at the cost of her own life. She's going to need someone who understands that awesome responsibility to help her deal. Who else other than her big sis? And now really so on a higher level than mere genetics. And I just love that quote because, and it leading into this next scene where Buffy walks in and like, you know, goes upstairs to talk to Dawn and you have that moment where Buffy realizes that she struggled up until this moment to find that connection with Dawn and then realizes that they are far more related than she ever even thought. They may not be blood sisters, at least to her knowledge, but they are have a deeper connection because they both have been chosen for something that they didn't choose. And I mean, isn't that such a metaphor for womanhood, right? Like us being all of our lives being taken away from us in certain ways. Like I think about the Barbie movie talking about how we're forced to grow up. Bro, don't even mention the Barbie movie. I'm going to start. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, but that's yeah. what I thought of in this moment with, with between yeah. them where Buffy sits also- down next to her. It's more beautiful because you see Buffy actively choosing now to yes. be her sister. Like with yes. all of the knowledge, it's like going into it and being like, oh my gosh, like I get to choose whether or not I'm your sister. Like that's a yeah. powerful thing. And I mean, that's kind of adulthood too. Like you get older right. and your siblings, yeah, they'll always be your siblings, but you get to choose whether or not they're going to be your friends. In your life. Like, yeah. Yeah. And I think that Buffy's getting older and she gets to choose that. She gets to choose if she's going to leave and never talk to her sister again, or if she's going to stay and kind of make that relationship real and get real memories. Or like begrudgingly protecting her, but not really caring caring for her. But we don't, we see obviously that that's not the case that she chooses. I mean, like to kind of like jump into that scene that we're about to talk about, like she comes in and then um, Joyce and Dunn are on the couch and then Dawn just like jumps up, walks away and says, I wasn't bothering her. Oh, that's so sad. I really I felt for Dawn there. I was like, oh. Um, Joyce asks, asks what that was and Buffy just says sister stuff. So we mm. we can already tell that Buffy's like made that decision. And mm-hmm. she like walks upstairs and like knocks on the door and opens it and like apologizes like multiple times too. Mm-hmm. And like Dawn's like butthole. <laughs> Such a younger sibling thing. Um, but like I love that like Obviously, Dawn is like pushing back. It's like classic younger sibling. It's like, oh, you apologize, but I'm going to keep going, you know? And like Buffy apologizes multiple times and is like, you you can't take an apology. You've always done that ever since. And then catches herself yeah. and is like, oh, she's never done that. These are just fake memories. Yeah. But then having that moment again, it's, oh my gosh, she gives so many emotions. It's that moment of being like, okay, but these are memories to me. Like this has made our relationship up to this point. Like she mm-hmm. has been my sister, even though she isn't my sister. And then sits down and then having this, like, I love that we can have a conversation about the special yet heartbreaking experiences that only siblings will understand. Mm-hmm. Where it's like the scares of parents or um whatever it may be. But in this moment, it's them being scared for Joyce. And so mm-hmm. that's what makes them sisters. And this is such like a perfect Mm -hmm. metaphor for like adopted siblings. Like you come in and you're like, I'm choosing to see you as a sister. We grew Mm -hmm. up together. 
No matter mm-hmm. if you're blood related to me, like like Buffy's memories are not real, but to her they are real because they are now in her. Like she's now like you can't just mm-hmm. like it's not like she can just look back and be like, okay, so that wasn't real. It's like no, like these memories cause emotions in her towards her sister, whether good mm-hmm. or bad. Like she is her sister at this point, you know? And so when they sit and they talk about Joyce and like they have that moment, it's like these are yeah. sisters. Totally. I I wrote the same thing. I mean, in this moment, it doesn't matter because yeah, Dawn thinks that she's her sister and Buffy's been tasked to protect her. And so now Buffy, Buffy feels is like taking it's her sister this, too. Buffy's taking on this burden to protect Dawn, to pre- preserve the innocence because yeah. she's already made the comparison between her and Dawn wishing she had the childhood. And now she's going, oh my gosh, now ch- Dawn's childhood is going to be taken away from her like it was for me. And I don't want that on her mm-hmm. because that's painful for me. And so, I mean, we talked about duality and that's th- that's what's happening in this moment. Buffy's been so sure that what's been affecting Joyce is supernatural and that it's possibly been Dawn herself. But now, like you were saying, they've got something in common. They both don't know what it is. And so their shared destinies, but also their shared grief and fear for their mother is ironically the thing that, that brings them together. But also shared trauma growing up is just yeah. like only siblings get it, you know? And Critically Touched pointed out that Buffy's role for Dawn shifts in this moment, and mm-hmm. Buffy represents more of a mother than a sister to Dawn because now she knows who Dawn actually is and that Dawn is actually – her mother's. Yes. And yeah. so Buffy is shouldering the weight of, I don't know what's wrong with mom. So I now have to worry about that. But I'm also got to protect mom from the burden of knowing who you, I mean, Buffy's got a lot on her mm-hmm. shoulders right now and she chooses to protect Dawn's innocence. It's just, it's so beautiful. Also the sibling, like spats with each other the way they speak is so freaking funny to me she's she's like um, <laughs> yeah. i had a bad day we'll join the club can i be president i'm president you could be the janitor <laughs> i audibly laughed <laughs> yeah no it's great it's this episode man gets you in the feels it's just it's funny it's it's got iconic moments it's got iconic villains but then it's just it comes down to the heart of things and it ends in such like the shot doesn't end in the room with them. It ends kind of outside the room mm-hmm. looking in. Yeah. And I think that it almost shows that that moment is so intimate. They're in their own world. They're in a room that shouldn't even exist. Yeah. Like it's crazy. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway. All right. Well, that went a lot longer than I anticipated, but I just love the episode. I feel like I could talk about it for hours. And I'm so, so excited for the next few episodes because every single one from like for the next few ones are just like absolute bangers and they're going to be so fun and we have some fun What's guests the next coming one? in. What's six? Family. Family. Six is family? Oh, mm-hmm. shoot. Yeah. Dang. Yeah. Next time we will have Catherine here with us for family and then after that we have Fool for Love and we're going to have David with us and Kimberly. It's just – we've it's going to be so good. So – Anyway, thanks so much for listening, guys. We hope you you loved this episode. And if you didn't, you can tell us why. It's okay. We won't judge you too hard. Um, but yeah, let us know your guys' thoughts and feelings about this. What do you think about the reveal of Glory? Uh, what do you think about the reveal of Dawn? And, and if anybody watched this episode when it initially aired, do you guys remember what your first experience with this was? Because I always love hearing from other people. And this is such a big episode for the rest of the season and the series, really. 
We hope you enjoyed this episode. As always, let us know your thoughts. We would love to hear from you. You can find us on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, and Tumblr at Becoming Buffy Podcast, and you can email us at becomingbuffypodcast at gmail.com. And if you'd like to support us or hear our spoiler section for each of these episodes, plus a few other perks, you can join our Buy Me a Coffee membership at buymeacoffee.com slash becomingbuffy. Shout out and special thank you to our producers, Cashan, CJ, Paul, Chrissy, Kate, and Sophie. Thank you to our listeners, and we'll talk to you all next time. Bye.